welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss The Flax, an episode that has one really, really good character, and other than that, I kind of don't remember what happened in it. Okay, so last week I mentioned that there is a joke at the end that I feel like is really transphobic. Oh, yeah. Like, for some reason it kind of veers into this aggressively transphobic area at the end of the episode for no reason. Here's the thing, because of that, and that's all I think of when I think of this episode, and it's, you know, the end of the episode, it's so uncomfortable to me that I don't rewatch this episode. So this is only, like, the second time I've ever watched this episode. You know, the first time I watched it, and just now. And a little while ago, I was on the Farscape subreddit, Mm -hmm. and, you know, season one is so spotty, people were talking about, you know, what's the episode where it gets good? You know, when is it that you get hooked on Farscape? And a lot of people were saying the flax. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I don't watch that episode. And the thing is, other than that terrible scene, which comes at the end, so it's all you think about, it's a really solid episode. Like, we'll go over it when we're talking about it, but everything else in this episode I was on board with. I hate that they, like... Felt like they had to do that and just destroy the rest of the episode. Well, for me, this has what I think might actually be the fatal flaw of Farscape going forward. In that I'm way more interested in the character that gets introduced this episode and I'm assuming never shows up again. I'm way more interested in that character than in anyone in the main cast. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the mechanic lady from a few episodes all over again where I'm like, okay, f- fuck these people. Let's follow him. By the way, I'm going to be using he, him pronouns for this character because that's what the character seems to use until the weird swerve at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Same here. He seems to use he, him pronouns for himself. I think it's safe to assume that this particular alien race, everyone uses he, him pronouns, like dwarves. Or this could have been a really interesting chance to look at how gender functions on other planets, which I I know, 90s, they're not going to do that. No, no. Gosh, I just think about that one Star Trek episode, the Next Generation episode. I don't think I showed it to you, but it's... An interesting exploration of gender and sexuality, except that the androgynous aliens are played by sexy female aliens so that it doesn't make the audience uncomfortable when Riker starts a relationship with one of them. Yeah, I I was about to say, that's the episode I've heard talked about where Riker bravely makes a stand for heterosexuality. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is what it is. On that planet, all aliens are androgynous, but... One of the particular aliens identifies as female and falls in love with Riker. Not that gender and sexuality are connected, but it was the 90s. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Riker takes a brave stand for heterosexuality. Yeah. The 90s. It was... I mean, it's interesting in itself to have an alien race whose idea of gender is different from ours. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. And... Okay, so... Should I save it for the end of the episode when we're actually talking about it, or have we talked about it enough here that justifies me talking about something? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so there's a webcomic called Sluggy Freelance, Uh which has been running since, like, the birth of the internet. Like, I think it started in literally, like, 
1994, which I know I know isn't the birth of the internet. But the point is, it was like the mid 90s when it started, and it's to my knowledge still running. But one of the really early bits in it installments, yeah, the main characters get stuck in a Star Trek parody, Mm -hmm. and there's a character they hit on because you know the character looks like a hot woman and. The joke is that the character is actually a male of his species, but their males happen to look exactly like really sexy earth women, which I guess to their dubious credit, they're like, yeah, you can identify however you want, but you look like a hot lady. So we're just going to objectify you, which I guess is marginally more progressive than the direction they go in this episode. I mean, it is right. Okay, so... The reason that the joke at the end, which we'll talk about, I guess, in more detail when we get there, is transphobic is because it's meant to be hilarious that this character played by, I presume, a cis male Mm -hmm. who, you know, appears masculine and uses male pronouns and uses male pronouns is actually a woman. So it's hilarious that and and specifically it's hilarious because he reveals an attraction to a male character who's horrified you know just to splash some some homophobia in there too yeah it has a real snl making fun of harvey firestein vibe to it the i just want to be loved thing where it's like this is just cruel it's not funny yeah it actually it's it's so weird and it feels really kind of out of place i read a lot of trivia for this episode expecting to find out that that scene was improvised or that it was like a blooper that they left in because it feels so out of place i didn't find that anywhere but that's how out of place it feels and honestly i kind of assumed that the character was just fucking with dargo when he first does the you know oh i'm a female of my species and actually i find you pretty attractive Mm -hmm. and then it just gets played straight and i was like it seems really out of character for this character to behave this way and it just feels like it's playing into really really old bad tropes about specifically trans people but also gay people yeah oh and then of course the show doubles down with John in the next scene asking Aaron if she's a female of her species which oh Jesus Christ John the whole thing has a real Ace Ventura pet detective vibe to it yeah Ugh. the movie I, I'm sure that if we were still doing clips from you know uh, other things for the openings of our podcast we would have got the clip from Brooklyn Nine-Nine oh cool it doesn't get massively transphobic until about the last third of it yes yes that's now I'm sad that we're not opening with clips from other TV shows because Jake Peralta saying, you know, it's pretty funny and it doesn't get explicitly transphobic until the very end is exactly how I would describe this episode. A very good episode that only gets explicitly transphobic at the very end. Okay, I know we've been talking about it for a while, but I guess we should get into talking about the flax. So just in advance, if this hadn't been enough. There, there is a trigger warning for this episode for very regressive concepts about gender and sexuality and sexuality, and it's just this could have this is so close to being a really, really good episode. I mean, they could have just not done that. Yeah, 
And I don't remember the plot of the episode. I just remember really liking this character. And uh, John and Aaron have a side plot, which is basically the end of that one Futurama episode with Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. So this episode was directed by Peter Androkitis, who we have not talked about before. Hmm. But he directed a lot of later episodes of Farscape. He's going to come up when we talk about episodes that are really mythology episodes as opposed to problem of the week with the ship episodes Mm -hmm. and i think that's interesting because this episode with the john and aaron stuff really starts to be it's not it's still a standalone episode but it really starts to get into what this show is going to be when it's serialized with both the john and aaron stuff and the decision dargo makes at the end of the episode And this episode was written by Justin Manju, who is going to come up a lot. He wrote a lot of episodes of Farscape, and most of the time when he comes up, I'm going to say, ah, this is one of my favorite episodes. He wrote A Human Reaction, which is we're going to get to in a few weeks, and I just can't wait to get to that episode. He wrote The Hidden Memory, which I I was going to bring this up, the pirate that you like. He doesn't come back, but we get introduced to a character who does become a main character in in another Justin Manju written episode, who I feel like is the same in personality, but not in the way he slots into the show. Hmm. So I think that you are actually going to be kind of a fan of Stark when he shows up, and he will become a main character. Okay. And, uh... Oh! Sorry, just going with some more Justin Manjo episodes. Crackers Don't Matter. Ugh, my all-time favorite. I know I've mentioned that one like five or 20 times. You have. Yes. The Locket, which I have not mentioned, but is a key John and Aaron shipping episode. So, you know, it all kind of fits in with what this episode is. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, the episode opens with... Aaron giving John a driving lesson? Yeah, so John and Aaron have taken one of the modules, one of Moya's modules out, so that John can learn how to drive Leviathan technology because he's been putting more and more Leviathan and Peacekeeper parts into the Farscape 1 module, so he needs to know how to, you know, run this technology. Doesn't he not have that anymore? No, he still has it. Remember, he wasn't willing to leave it behind. Oh. Wait, then how did he pay uh, What's-Her-Face for all the repairs she did? He gave her all of the data that she wanted. Oh. Okay. I kind of assumed that was part and parcel with leaving the ship with her, but I guess not. No, 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 no. He gave her the data stores, but the deal was that he couldn't make a copy of them. Oh. Honest to God, that's on him for not... I know we talked about it at the time, but who doesn't back up their data? Even yeah, that's then. really just bad practices. Yeah. So Aaron is very, very frustrated with John, who seems to be doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. And I like that he compares where they are, which is in the middle of space where there is nothing, with learning to drive in an empty parking lot. Yeah. It's a very Earth thing for him to to reference. And we do, in fact, see the ship, like, in the middle of space. There aren't even any stars. So, back on the ship, Rigel is... Back on Moya, the main ship. Rigel is being super, super irritating to remind us why more plots aren't about Rigel. 
Uh, he's playing a game, I think. Like- yeah, okay, I love this game. He's playing a game called To Deck. Mm-hmm. And it's a game that utilizes noise and light. Like, you move these crystal pieces across a board with what's essentially a tuning fork and we don't really get the idea of exactly how it's played but the different sounds and light that's made when you push the crystals across the board correlate to the points that you're scoring it's it's a neat concept one would think that he wouldn't be playing it on the bridge I mean, I guess he's just doing it to irritate his fellow shipmates well he's bored, in fact he's not even playing it he's just banging the tuning fork pusher thing on the table yeah well that's why i said i think it's a game because like we see it as a game later but it he's basically just banging it like a toddler he's essentially being a child in the backseat going oh are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet and targo and zan have to be like we don't even know where there is rigel meanwhile dargo is throwing a you know, temper tantrum of his own, because why does, why does Aaron have to teach John how to drive? Isn't that a big waste of time? It's not like John, I thought we settled this goddamn last episode, Dargo. Okay, okay, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Dargo here, because his point is they're being chased by bounty hunters. They shouldn't be stopped in the middle of space to do anything. Well, they're not being chased very well. They've encountered bounty hunters once. Okay, that's fair. And like, It's good for John to learn this sort of thing because he's been carrying the team for a while now. Yeah, yeah, he has. I'm, if we want somebody to fly into some weird masturbation rage and try to kill crewmates, we'll go to you, Dargo. Dargo. Okay, I, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I also have an issue with Dargo because there's a thing that he does later in the episode, which is seen as this big character development thing for him. Which I don't think it is. I think Wait, it's, really? It's basic common sense. But. Oh, I can't are, wait to get to that moment. Are we rewarding people for having common sense now? Uh, okay, well, I, I'm i very excited to get to that part. Because I think I disagree with you, but we'll get to that. So we cut back to John and Aaron. And John's like, hey, thanks for teaching me how to do this. And Aaron's like, look, I'm going to make the point Max just made. I'm teaching you this because it'll probably come in handy at some later point, or more specifically, if I don't teach you how to do it, we'll definitely get into a position where you'll need to and we'll be screwed if you don't know how. Yeah, Erin talks about how she used to be part of, you know, a squad. So she needs to have, essentially... People with complementary skill sets having her back. Exactly. She also tells John, and I believe this is a lie, because he says she's being a little hard on him as far as learning to fly. He's like, I'm doing pretty well for my first lesson. And she tells him that in peacekeeper training, if you lose, if you fail, I guess it's not a game, but if you fail on the flight simulator, you die. And John doesn't believe her, and I do think Aaron's fucking with him. Yeah, because... That doesn't seem like a good way to keep peacekeepers around. Plus, if that was true, Crace's brother would have been dead a long time ago. Seriously. Like, I just... No, I'm pretty sure Aaron's just fucking with him when she says that. Yes. Although it did make me think of the danger room from X-Men. Yeah. Like, how many teams of X-Men do you think Professor X went through? 
before he was like, maybe I should make the danger room not kill them. I mean, when we the first time we see it in the Silver Age, it's shooting saw blades at Warren. Like, what happens if Warren fucks up? You fuck up, you die. Yeah, like, I appreciate when we see the danger room later with the new mutants. Like, they do fuck up, but he's changed it so it won't kill you if you fuck up. I mean, you'd think that would be, like, basic pedagogy, but I... How are you supposed to learn algebra if no one's shooting giant saw blades at your face? Ugh. Professor X is the worst. Because I, I do want to put it out in the universe. When he runs the new mutants through the danger room at the beginning, when he's made it safer... Uh-huh. He's possessed by an alien brood queen that wants to implant eggs in the new mutant's chests. So the alien possessing him is doing a better job teaching because oh. it realized, hey, I can't really implant eggs into these kids' chests if they've been sawbladed to death. Oh, this actually, this reminds me of something I was going to bring up to you that is completely unrelated to Farscape, but is related to terrible professors. Mm-hmm. And that's in Harry Potter. Yes. In the fourth book, when Harry is competing in the second task, and that's the task with the mermaids, where the clue tells him that the mermaids are going to kidnap the thing he cares about the most, and that if he doesn't rescue it within an hour, he'll never get it back. And then he goes down into the lake, and it's Hermione. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Of course. It's Ron. Hermione was the thing Crumb cares about the most. Poor Crumb. How empty was his life up until this point? I was thinking that, too. Okay. But so, you know, he goes down there and there are these four hostages and the one he's supposed to rescue is Ron. And he refuses to leave until all of the hostages have been rescued, which makes him come up last and basically come in last place in the task. Except and, for Floor. Except for Floor, who didn't even get her thing, her sister rescued. Harry had to rescue her. God, how bad is Floor at magic? I'm sorry, go on. Well, I don't know. She did the bubblehead charm, which I have to say, Harry and Hermione and Ron went through books for like weeks and weeks looking for a charm that would let them breathe underwater, and none of them came up with what appears to be a very basic charm. But that that aside. A charm that a bunch of students use, I think, in fifth year, just very commonplacely. When uh, Fred and George are raging their campaign against Umbridge and they're letting off stink bombs everywhere. Well, I think it's just part of the curriculum because it's also what Cedric uses. But my point was that when he comes back up and Ron finds out that he stayed down there to rescue all the hostages, Ron's like, that was that was really, really thick of you, Harry. Obviously, Dumbledore wasn't going to let us die. And I'm like, there is nothing obvious about that. Have you seen Quidditch? Voldemort was on the back of your defense against the dark arts teacher's head. And your other defense against the dark arts teacher wasn't even evil and he still tried to memory wipe you all. Yeah. Not to mention, like, okay, we can't get into all of the ways Professor Dumbledore is a bad teacher. We'll be here all day. But... Let's just say, I think Harry was, yeah, I think you're right. I think Harry was completely justified in assuming that they all would have died if he had just left. Yeah. And I I think Harry was at a real disadvantage in that task because Ron is supposedly the thing he cares about the most, but Hermione, he cares about just as much as he cares about Ron, and they were both down there. Seriously. He's supposed to rescue Ron and leave Hermione down there? He was set up for failure. And Cho, of course. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, John is flying the module and they get caught in essentially a giant net in space. <gasps> space net. Yeah, the flax. Yeah. When we get back from credits, uh, the ship is not doing so hot. The wee tiny ship, Moya's fine. Yeah. The ship that uh, Aaron was training John on. The transport module. Yeah. Yeah. So it's shooting steam everywhere. It's a very steam-powered ship. This is a very steampunk episode because there's steam and fire all over the place in the module for a lot of the episode. And Stanza's ship is actually steam-powered. Like, it is powered by... He he shovels wood into a furnace to power the ship. But uh, John asks Aaron if she has whatever the uh, peacekeeper equivalent of a concussion is. Okay, wait, I love this because... When we come back, Aaron has been knocked unconscious, which, by the way, means, yes, she does have a concussion. If you're unconscious, even for only a second, like Aaron is, that means you have a concussion. But whatever. John says when she wakes up, don't scare me like that. And I love just this glimpse into peacekeeper culture that that colloquialism, there's no equivalent in peacekeeper speech. Because she's like... I wasn't trying to scare you. I was just injured. Like, there's no idea that you might be frightened for someone else's well-being. So the ship is spraying steam and, oh no, now our clothes are going to cling to us all sexfully as we, you know, have to figure a way not to die in space. I guess that's basically every Aaron and John subplot. Well, also, as the ship gets rocked back and forth, we're going to fall on top of each other several times. Yes, this the steam is going to make our clothes cling to our sexy, sexy bodies while the ship rocks us back and forth into one another. It's like the universe is literally pushing them together. Yes! Yes, that is what it's like. Anyway, back on Moya, Pilot, like... Pilot activates this, like piercing alarm sound and then he's like sorry i hit the wrong button and zan calls him out on that she's like no you didn't you were just annoyed that we weren't answering you hey zan zan remember that one time you cut off my arm i just love it when pilot is sassy to them i really do yeah but pilot lets them know that there is somebody outside the ship who has signaled them and wants to be brought on board uh Dargo asks if they're armed and pilots like that depends, which I like. I like that answer because he's like, it has weapon parts on it, but it doesn't really seem to have weapons. And this is apparently like a uh, thrift store ship. Yeah, well, the ship does in fact dock and the man does in fact come on board. His name is Stans and he says that he is a garbologist, which is, of course, just their way of saying a scavenger. He goes and he finds disabled ships floating in space and scavenges them for whatever he can get. Okay, so this character has a real sexual awakening for weird girls vibe to him. Yeah. He's like, not unattractive, like he's attractive enough, but he's got like heavy kind of eye makeup. He's dirtbag hot. Yeah, he's dirtbag hot. He's got heavy eye makeup and he's wearing... uh a midriff-bearing shirt, and his hair's kind of spiked. It's like, you know, those girls who, like, you know, first discovered they like dudes by watching, um, what's it called? Like, better, like, freshly dead Fred, or... Drop Dead Fred? Drop Dead Fred, like those girls who had huge crushes on him. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very much 
a more gothy, less, in my opinion, annoying take on that character. Well, I would say it's more punk than goth. Yes. There's a a real Sid Vicious vibe here. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I would get being a girl who is into this, um, this character. Yeah. He also has what I assume is a massive face tattoo on part of his face. And when we see the rest of the Zenitan pirates, they have similar face tattoos. So yeah, I assume that's a remnant of his his old pirate life. I mean, honest to God, this character is so interesting, and I wish we spent more time with him. But uh, he tells them that he was looking in the flax for ships that he could, you know, garbologize. And Zan's like, "What's the flax?" And he's like, "You know that giant space net that your friends just ran into." Well, now, the flax is only, like, one micron thick, so it's invisible in space. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was reading the um, the illustrated companion that they put out to go with the first season of Farscape, and they talked about how originally they weren't going to show the flax at all. You were just going to see the transport be stuck, but you weren't going to see what it was stuck in. But that turned out to not be visually interesting. So now it does the thing that force fields do in science fiction and also kind of fantasy, I guess, where it lights up when you touch it, mm. but then you don't see it otherwise. Yeah, which I like. It's a good conceit. Yeah, it's it's a great trope for letting there be an invisible barrier. It's like how they make telekinesis glow when they show it in cartoons or a lot of the times in comics because, you know, it's more visually interesting than just seeing stuff whiz around. Although I think that might be less of a thing now because live action is sort of normalized telekinesis is just stuff moving yeah and you know what i called it a trope but it's less of a trope and more like the visual language that we've established for what a force field looks like yeah yeah but stans tells zan and targo that he used to be as an eaten pirate one of these people who operate the flax but he fell out with them so now he's warning them off the flax yeah he's like look i go around and i take what I find, but I don't go out of my way to, you know, let people just run into this and run afoul of these pirates who are wicked bad dudes, y'all. Well, and also he, he doesn't like them anymore. He's on bad terms with them. So so it amuses him to thwart them. Dargo doesn't trust this guy, but he's like, I don't care about you, Dargo. I want to play this game with little fish man here. Yep. Yep. He wants to play Tadic with Rigel. He uh, talks about how he used to dabble back in the day. You're right. He does have a real punk aesthetic. He's also got like this chain around his neck. Yeah. Like a, a, like a thick, like a bicycle chain. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he settles down at the table to play the game with Rigel, completely ignoring Dargo's question, which to be fair was a stupid question. He's like, well, what kind of stuff do you scavenge? What do you think, Dargo? Whatever it looks useful or looks like I can sell it. Duh. Like, that's not a good question. I do like, though, Dargo says he never heard of the flax. And Stan says, well, what are you? And Dargo says, I'm a Luxon. And he says, well, I've never heard of Luxons, but here you are. You still exist. There you go. This character's a lot of fun. He is. I do like this character. So, like, that line of questioning is being like, is like hearing someone say, Oh, I was eating ham and cheese sandwich when I shot my husband and going, but what kind of cheese was it? He's like, I used to be part of this group of space pirates and now I go around collecting garbage. And Dargo's like, what kind of garbage? That's not- Garbage. Garbage. That's not the pertinent information. 
Ugh, fucking Dargo. Back on the transport ship, Aaron realizes that they're not moving, as in, like, it's space, so they should have some inertia, they should still be drifting, and they're not. So she realizes they're stuck on something. Also, the communications are out, so they can't communicate with Moya, and John finds out that the power is out, which means, in addition to other things, they're gonna run out of life support, Mm. which is bad. It's too bad, uh... John doesn't still, I mean, I I guess, you know, he had that connection with Zan in the last episode. It's too bad that he couldn't use that to communicate with her. Yeah. Yeah. We understand that the flax disrupts communications, but it shouldn't also disrupt psychic communications. He should be able to reach out to Zan with his mind. Is that something they do later? I mean, I, I kind of assumed like a lot of stuff with Zan, it was going to get established and then never mentioned again. I mean, it feels like she focused she should be able to reach out to him yeah i mean they've communicated through psychic rapport before it's how she uh, found that space wizard guy she needed to brain kill yeah plus she had spacex with him by the way that episode was weirdly better with queer stuff because it just very casually had same yeah it was a lot better yeah 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 <sighs> but instead zan's like oh no we can't you know, uh, reach Aaron and Crichton through communication channels. And uh, Stans could be telling the truth about the invisible space web. And Dargo's like, well, what does he want from us in return? And he, he, he already told you. Money. Wait, no, no. This is what's really annoying, though. Dargo goes into the ship's databases and he's like, wait, according to the Peacekeeper files that we have, Stans was a criminal. Did you forget you're or- you're all criminals? Sam's like, we're all escaped criminals, Dargo, remember? And then Dargo's like, well, not everyone the peacekeepers arrested was good. And I'm like, Dargo, what? What's your deal right now? What's your deal here? What's what's His deal's the same deal he always has. He's a raging asshole for no reason to make things harder for everyone. It's like You hate peacekeepers all day, all the time, every time, except when it would be beneficial for your team for you to acknowledge that the peacekeepers imprison people for no reason. And and plus, he already told you that he's an ex-pirate slash scavenger, so, I mean, gee, why would the peacekeepers be holding him? This, none of this is new information, like, oh my god, the thing that he told us is true. That means we can't trust him. It is bizarre. Although, I it and, and, and what's weird about it is it's not bizarre in a way that gets us where we need to go. The Dargo and Stan's plot can happen without this. It could happen even more easily without this. But what does need to happen is over where Rigel is playing the game... Stans uses a move that Rigel declares is unconventional. This is an unusual move to make on the game board. So that's going to be important later. So, yeah, they're playing for... uh, Rigel puts out, like, he's raising him, because I guess there are some aspects of poker in this game. Well, it involves wagers and betting. Yeah. It's this, like, sex oil. It's really weird. He's like... Uh, with this, no one will be able to uh, resist even you. Which, what? You're not a body breeder, what? Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, he could just have it for no reason. 
So Darko grabs Stans and lifts him up into the air, and he's like, You didn't tell us that you were being held prisoner by the peacekeepers, you bastard. I'm going to kill you because you lied to us. And Stans is like, No? Like... Okay, wait. I, I This is weird, though, because he's like, Wait, I have proof that I'm not in league with the Zenitan pirates. And his proof involves him taking off his pants and showing these tattoos that he has, which indicate that he was, in particular, gangs in prison. And essentially, he's telling Dargo, I mean, this is essentially the equivalent of in Riverdale, when Archie got the... the Snake serpent tattoo. Yeah, when Archie got the serpent tattoo before he was going to prison so that the serpents would protect him. Yeah, Stans is like, yeah, the pirates didn't do anything when I was captured. They did not help me at all. So fuck those guys. I had to get these gang tattoos to have those prison gangs help me out. And also, we see that... Stans has non-standard genitals. I I think he has no external genitalia. I think he is... He's got a Ken doll situation happening. Yeah, because everyone keeps staring at his private area and they're like, why do any of them think that they have knowledge of what his genitals would look like? Because they're all like weirded out. But like we I, I know they've apparently gone back on this, but we know Rigel doesn't breed with standard genitals. And that's a plant. Yeah, like they're. We we talked about Zan probably not having standard genitals and like Zan Dar- has sex by pushing her head against someone else's head. I'm assuming she also like barfs up pollen or something. She buds. Yeah. Does that come up later? Yeah. Wow. And Dargo has the face testicles, so like why are they surprised that this guy doesn't have genitals in the one region where I would think most of them don't? It's bizarre. Well, okay, actually, Dargo probably does have genitals there because he was able to interbreed with a sebation. Then why are his face tentacles? Those must be secondary sexual attributes. Okay. Yeah, okay, fine, yeah. I, I mean, I find this as annoying as you do because they shouldn't be so shocked. But sebaceans do breed with a lot of different species. We see a lot of half sebaceans out there in the future. So at least a significant percent of other species must have compatible genitals with sebaceans. Okay, but also that didn't seem like that was what Dargo was upset about because Darko burst in there and he's like, you were wanted by the peacekeepers. I, I don't think like him still working with these pirates he's never heard of was the sticking point there. Well, I think he thinks that they're, I think he thinks that Stans is in some way responsible for the flax. The thing he doesn't even believe exists yet that Stans told him about. What is Dargo angry about here? It's just having a bad day, Max. Have a motive. It's just having a bad day. Every day is a bad day if you're Dargo or within Dargo's immediate vicinity. <laughs> oh. He's the worst. He's the Britta of space. Aw, poor Britta. Yeah, oh, you're right. That's not fair. Britta's occasionally useful. On the mo- So in the module, John is getting ready to send out a distress beacon. And he's trying to read the instructions, which, you know, are hard for him to read because he's a human. And Aaron, Do the translator microbes not work on 
uh, visual st- stuff? They do not. Huh. Yeah. Weird. And Aaron doesn't know how to read them because she was a warrior. She didn't need to know text stuff. Readings for nerds. Wait, I love this though because John's like, well, what if you crashed on a planet alone and you needed to fix your ship? What was your plan then? And she's like, I would kill someone with a ship and take their ship. But you probably wouldn't know how to fly it. I'm assuming that there's not really a standardized universal thing for... Yeah, well, I guess I guess you just keep killing people until you find a ship you know how to pilot. Okay, I'm assuming at this point that the peace, the main reason the peacekeepers are such an effective military force is because they breed a lot and there's a lot of them. Because <laughs> it seems like they're basically being set up to fail on multiple levels. Yeah. Also... This whole, this whole subplot just feels kind of like they're retreading ground we've already done with Eric, with uh, Aaron before. Like we've seen this in PK Tech Girl. We saw this in um, what is it? Thank God it's Friday again. The whole uh oh, now we're in a position where Aaron has to do science, but Aaron doesn't do science except for all of these times that she's done science in the past. Well, she's growing as a person, like. This isn't repeating the same thing. This is showing a period of growth as opposed to it just happening once and then moving on. I don't know. It feels, I mean, it it feels like it's basically the same exact plot. You know, something science needs being done, but it can't be done by someone who would be better at it. So Aaron has to do it. And then Aaron's like, I didn't think science was good, but it turns out science is good. And I feel better for knowing it now. Oh, but that's not the, that's not the lesson here. The lesson here is that John and Aaron should have sex. I I will hold off on saying what I feel like the lesson is until we get to it. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, basically, John and Aaron should have sex. Meanwhile, Dargo is harassing Stans about his boots. Okay, this one's fair. This one is fair, because he got these, these are uh, Luxon boots. These are Luxon battle boots. Right. And remember, we specifically had the moment where he said he had never heard of Luxons. Yeah. So... He lets Dargo know that he savaged a, a Luxon ship. Scavenged. And Savaged? Scavenged. <laughs> yes, he garbologized a Luxon ship. And he's like, yeah, I took what I needed. And, you know, then I left. And Dargo's like, I can't believe you'd steal from dead people. And he's like, yeah, they weren't using it anymore. What do you think garbologist means, Dargo? And it isn't. Isn't that better than stealing from living people? It definitely is, but it's okay because Dargo comes around when he realizes there's something he could steal, specifically maps to his home planet. It is rational to assume that a Luxon ship would have maps back to his home planet. Yeah. Should I talk about this now or should I talk about my main issues with Dargo's motivation later? What's your main issue with Dargo's motivation? Why does he want to go back to his home planet? I thought he wanted to find his kid. Why does he think that they'd help him? Why do why why does he think that anyone on his home planet would be helpful in that situation? Well, I mean, he's he was imprisoned by the peacekeepers for the crime of you know, marrying and interbreeding with a peacekeeper. So, he's not He's not persona non grata amongst the Luxons. It's the peacekeepers who imprisoned him. Really? That wouldn't be a big deal with the Luxons? I think they would be not huge fans of that. And I can't imagine they would want to help him find his half-peacekeeper kid. 
Although he knows where he and his wife were hiding out with their son. So presumably if he can get back to Luxon's space, he can get back to whatever planet they were hiding out on and then track his son from there. I guess, I mean, I guess in terms of like situating yourself, it makes sense. But I don't think it's as big a sacrifice when he ends up not being able to use the information they find. Okay. Or when he gives up the information. I just... Do does he ever go back to Luxa or whatever? Do we find out what his fellow people would think of him? Uh we meet other Luxans. To my memory, we don't ever go back to his home planet. He does find his son though. Alexander. Yeah, right. J- Jothy, but yeah, he's basically Alexander from from Worf's son from Star Trek. I just have issues with him acting like this is a big sacrifice because I think like at best it might be a step in the right direction possibly okay also like I mean how was he planning on tracking his son even I don't really know what Jargo's plan is and I will tell you that the solution that presents itself has literally nothing to do with Dargo. like Dargo. Never figures out how to find his son. Someone just shows up and is like, hey, Dargo, I know where your son is. Well, yeah, I wouldn't give Dargo credit for coming up with anything more complicated than point and shoot. And honestly, he seems pretty bad at that most of the time. So, like, what's the plan, Dargo? All right, back on the transport module, John and Aaron are trying to maneuver where they basically, like, blast their way out of the flax. Wait, I thought the ship wasn't functioning. The ship's power is failing. So they're using, they're, they're basically hot-wiring everything they have left back together so that they can bust it out. So this, but this is going to use up most of everything they have. They're going to die a lot faster when they get out if they don't. Explode during it. Yeah. Which they don't. They get thrown dramatically across the room. On top of each other. And uh, now everything's on fire and steamier and somehow they both lost a couple of layers and it's just... And, and Aaron is trapped underneath a piece of the ship, and she tells John to give her an axe, and she's going to cut her foot off, just like 127 hours style. She does not, though. She just gets herself out. But back on Moya, the distress signal has reached them, and they know that... I love this. Zan's like, we know where the ship is. It appears to be caught in some sort of field. It's that- like, yeah, that thing that Stan's told you? Yeah, and Stan's like, yeah, that's the flax. The thing I told you catches stuff in space. Ugh, ugh. But Stan's, of course, has gone off with Dargo to the Luxon ship to look for Luxon maps. So now it is all Zan and Rigel on this ship. Yeah, thanks, Dargo. Yeah. So- I really do love Stan's ship, though. It's like, it, I feel like other space shows would not have given us this ship. Okay, so- I haven't really watched it. I know it's a classic and I should, but there there was a class I took back in college where uh, they actually mentioned uh, they've had just pictures of it for a character design thing. Cowboy Bebop. Have, mm, have yeah. you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this anime about space cowboys. Joss Whedon ripped it off a lot to do uh, Firefly, but there, uh, there's this bit. I don't know if all of these scenes are next to each other or something in the show. 
but you get to see the interior of three different people's spaceships. Uh-huh. And there's just all of this stuff around them that really informs the characters. You can tell, even though, you know, these are characters, I'm guessing you see, like, for ten seconds, like, there's this older woman who's got, like, all of these kind of tchotchkes around her, and, like... There's this guy who's got all of these like flowing drapes around him and like potted plants and stuff. And it's just all you can really tell about these characters' personalities from the way their ships are set up. Mm-hmm. And again, you're just basically seeing these people's car dashboards. But yeah. And that's really the impression you get from Stanza's ship. Like it's very kind of hobbled together, but in a very stylish way. Yeah. I mean, I, I just really love everything we see in this ship. He uses bellows to run the ship. He has an aesthetic he needs to stick to. Yeah. He's, he is, his ship is exactly what you would expect the ship of a garbologist to look like. Yes. So meanwhile, John and Aaron are still stuck, but now they're not on fire or trapped under things anymore. So things are slightly better. Well, I mean, they're completely out of power. They're in the dark now. Except enough light that we can see them, but presumably complete darkness. Yes. And they're going to, except for, of course, when sparks fly, which gives them enough room to see sometimes. And let me tell you, sparks are flying. <laughs> yeah, no, anyway, John's like, so basically we just have to stay alive until the others rescue us. What I, no, no, no. What he says is, I guess we just have to sit here and wait for Dargo to rescue us. There's a beat and Aaron's like, I'm going to try to rig something up with propulsions. And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> John knows. Oh, oh. So, I also like the fact that Stanza's ship is perpetually on the cusp of blowing up. Yeah, we go back to Stanza's ship, and essentially, it's kind of like the way on a sailboat, you you constantly have to do something with it. You don't just, like, sit and glide through space. Yeah, all the other spaceships are automatic, but this one is manual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Apparently, Big Daddy Pirate is uh, has entered the vicinity, and he's heading straight for Moya, and... Well, straight for Stanza's ship. Yes, which is Moya adjacent, I guess. Yeah. Okay, is Dargo the biggest idiot in the universe? Because he's like, what do you care? Where, didn't you used to be one of the pirates? Why are you scared of him? He's like, yeah, I used to be one of the pirates. And then I wasn't anymore, and they're not really big on people leaving the organization. Yeah, also, apparently Stan's told a lot of his secrets to other people. Also, he specifically told you that he likes to fly around the flax and tell people to avoid Avoid it. it. Yeah. But the Zanetian pirates... What kind of cheese was it, Stan's? (laughs) But the Zanetian pirates don't spot Stan's ships, but they do see Moya, and they do decide to board her. She is very large. Big ass ship. She's pregnant too. I mean, I I don't think that would make her bigger at this point. It's true. It doesn't make her bigger, but it is going to turn out to be a saving grace because the Zanetians are not about to steal a pregnant ship because they know that pregnant ships are a pain in the ass to deal with. So the pirate captain comes aboard and Zan's like, hi, I'm Pao Zan. I know I made a big deal last episode about not being a Pao anymore, but it's one episode later. Yeah, basically. The pirates tell Zan that they're looking for stands and Zan is like, nope, sorry, never heard of him. Don't know him. 
it's just me and a fish guy in this giant pregnant ship. I mean, it might seem weird, but you don't... don't. Everything in the Uncharted Territories is weird. It's no weirder than anything else. Don't fucking judge me. I'm a naked blue plant lady. Yeah. Yeah. So, the pirates see Rigel playing Tadek, and they notice that he has the crystals that he won off of Stan, so that sets off their... Alarms. Yeah, their alarms that Stan's must have been here. And Rigel offers to play with them. Back on the transporter, the steam has become green, which I feel like is definitely a bad sign. Yeah. Green is generally not what you want out of things that aren't plants. John realizes that they are venting atmosphere and that someone needs to get in there and weld the line shut so that they have some breathable air for the next couple of hours until Dargo comes and finds them. I'm smelting, smelting. Yes. I mean, I guess wielding and and smelting are really the same, but they're like cousins. Yeah, they're close enough. Unfortunately, because the atmosphere line is broken, the ship is filled with oxygen, which means that as soon as John fires up the torch, they are all going to die. So essentially the plan is they have to put on their spacesuits, vent all of the oxygen to space, and then fix the line and hope that they're able to fix the line so that they don't all suffocate before they run out of air in their spacesuits. Hmm. And also there's another bump and John falls on top of Aaron. Just all over the place. I love it. She's like, you comfy? Is this comfortable for you? They have a whole conversation like into each other's mouths. I used to, when I, I watched Smallville when I was a youth and my dad used to walk into the room all the time being like, people don't have conversations like that. Are they going to kiss? Why is everyone talking so close? And it's kind of like that. Yeah. God, I can't imagine Smallville has aged great. I do not know. Hmm. Do you I got... think we should do Welcome to Smallville? Oh, maybe. It it does fit our uh, S theme, which I guess we lost as soon as Welcome to Storybrooke stopped being a thing. <laughs> we could have called uh, we could have called our charm podcast Welcome to San Francisco. Well, then what are we going to call our Full House podcast? Uh, welcome to Stephanie Tanner's Nightmares. Poor Stephanie Tanner. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Dargo's all mad at Stans because it's been 10 seconds. Why not? Well, they need to get more power because now they're going to get stuck in the flax. So they need to kind of zoom through it, like break through it. And that requires, as I mentioned before, Dargo throwing more logs onto the actual fire that is propelling the ship. I love this ship so much. (laughs) Meanwhile, Rigel is playing the weird musical crystal game with the pirate captain, and he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. The pirate captain has kind of a Borg thing going on. Oh, well... The face tattoos that he has do, yeah, kind of look like the pieces that the Borgs have on half their face. I do like that you can tell that these people were in the same organization as Stans, but, like, Stans wasn't very high up because he just had the one, uh... Yeah, he just has the one line down his face. Like, they're almost like lieutenant badges. Yeah. So the captain tells Rigel, like, you need to ante up. Hi, Lyrian. And Rigel's like, you knew the, you know the thing that I am. Also, he's out of money. Yeah. So I guess he was being kind of smug for no reason then. Also, he's a Hynerian. Is that not what I said? I said Hynerian. I think he said Hylerian. 
Oh. That's Hynerian enough. Hyrulean. <laughs> so, on the transport module, Aaron discovers that one of their suits, the helmet has been destroyed, which means they only have one suit. So, only one of them can live. The other one is going to be depressurized. Well, you know what the smart thing to do would be? What? Uh, put the helmet on whichever suit is bigger and then have them both get into it. I don't think the helmet is big enough for them to do that. No, it'd just be really sexy. They'd be all smooshed together in one suit. Definitely not sexy. <laughs> like and- Ted and Linda in that one episode of uh, Better Off Ted. Yes. Well, oh, no, like Lemon Phil in that one episode of Better Off Dead. Yes. Erin does tell John that she has these syringes. One has death juice in it and one has undeath juice in it because that's... Peacekeepers. Yeah, that's what peacekeepers have to do sometimes. So here's the deal. He'll shoot her full of the death juice so that she won't decompress when they decompress the ship. He'll fix the ship, he'll shoot her with the non-death juice, and she'll wake back up, and everything will be hunky-dory, except that the suit that's not crushed is her suit, and he won't fit into her suit. Really? I know, right? It's pretty convenient, because the suits both look pretty much the same size, but I- And is John that much bigger than Aaron? Listen, I'm here for the drama of it, I'm okay with this. Futurama did this better. So John has to explain to Aaron how to weld the line closed and she's going to shoot him with the death juice and then shoot him with the juice, the the non-death juice. And hopefully that will work even though they're different species because, I don't know, maybe they're close enough. I mean, humans and sebaceans are clearly close. So, you know, hopefully they're close enough. I guess I have less issues with Abed's fan theory. About Sebastians just being a future version of humanity that evolved into this warlike race. Mm-hmm. And that the wormhole takes you through time and space. Because at first I was like, Sebastians are too different from people. Like, they've got the heat death thing. And they've got the able to breed with everyone in the universe thing. And that seems pretty different. But hey. I-, I guess, like, theoretically, if they had enough time to perfect space travel and become this giant army that's conquering everywhere. Here's the thing about Abed's theory. Also, wouldn't they still know that they were from Earth at some point? Well, I mean, the whole point of Battlestar Galactica is that, the original Battlestar Galactica, is that they evolved from Earth people, but Earth is just a distant legend for them. Mm-hmm. In fact, they call it Cobal because Battlestar Galactica is actually uh, Mormonism. All right. I don't know if you were aware of that. I was not. Yeah, yeah. The colonies, the the colon- oh, the planets you get after. Well, the colonies are the tribes, and then the lost colony is the tribe that came over to America, and yeah, so it's it's Mormonism. Battlestar Galactica is Mormonism. My problem with Abed's theories is that all of his theories are things that are discussed at length in later episodes of Farscape. So did he just not finish the series? Yeah, for all of the things like for like. They treat Abed as this, like, giant repository for pop culture knowledge, but it's like reading a Dan Brown book, where, like, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about as long as you don't have any knowledge of what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Although the little bit we see of Cougar Town that he watches is not an actual episode of Cougar Town, so maybe he watches some alternate universe version of 
Farscape. Farscape. Yeah. We already know that there's an alternate universe version of Doctor Who, because in the community universe, Doctor Who is a ripoff of Inspector Spacetime. Hmm. A much more successful ripoff, one would assume. Yes. So they're uh, Oreo to Doctor Who. Or Doctor Who is Oreo to Inspector Spacetime's Hydrox. That is correct. Just like uh, this show is Hydrox to Gardens of the uh, to Guardians of the Galaxies Oreos. This show is Oreos. Wait, then what's Hydrox? I I don't know, but th- th- this show is superior to Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, it's impo- It's possible that Hydrox are better than Oreos, but no one knows. I guess that's fair. Anyway, my point is. I'm not going to worry about which suits are bigger than which other suits because the drama of this is awesome and I love it. John is going to go under and Aaron is like, wait, how long can you survive without oxygen? And he's like, four minutes, maybe six minutes. I don't know. And Aaron is like, give me a number. Because if you give me a number, then that is how quickly I will fix the ship. Don't be like, oh, I think I can do this. I think maybe it's that. No, give me a freaking number. I like that about Aaron. I would give her the smaller number. Yeah, that's what he should do. Back on the ship, Rigel makes a move with the Tradec board, and it's, uh... It's not so great. It's not so great. Yeah, he's he has lost everything. Even that weird sex powder? Especially that weird sex powder. I'm sorry, sex oil. Yeah. Which... Do they not have consent in the outer territories? Well, Uncharted territories. It's just like a pheromone. I guess. That's that's one of the weird things where you're like, where does this fall on the consent scale? Pheromones don't negate consent. Like, you can be attracted to a person and not act on it. Okay. So do you think Star Fox should have got away with uh, sleeping with all of those women? It depends on the extent to which he... Star Fox the Marvel character, not Star Fox the Fox from those video games. I feel like I need to clarify. Yeah, it depends on the extent to which his power is just pheromones and the extent to which it's mind control, which I feel like differs depending on where we are. Depending on who's writing, because God, who cares about Star Fox? And I think his stuff is more mind control than pheromones because he makes Jen fall in love with John John Jameson against her will. I mean, she was dating John Jameson at the time. She had broken up with him, but got back together with him when Star Fox put the whammy on them. That's true. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the whole Mallory, awesome Andy thing. God, like, I appreciate... Dan Slott's run for calling out how fucking creepy Star Fox is. Yeah. We're talking about Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk, by the way. I don't know if I said that. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, which is really good. You should check it out. Yeah. When people ask me where to start with She-Hulk, I usually say Dan Slott's run. Which uh, I mentioned, I actually mentioned it on uh, my Twitter and he liked it. And I was like, is he vanity searching himself? Because I can't see why else oh. that would- He's vanity searching his name. That's I, so embarrassing. I know a lot of people have issues with Dan Slott because of his behavior on Twitter, which is why I don't follow creators I like on Twitter. He's exactly the kind of person who would vanity search his own name. But I generally like his stuff. I mean. Yeah, me too. 
Oh. So Rigel doesn't move on the board, the, the move that we saw Stans do earlier. So that's come back around. Because when he does the move, the Zenitian pirates are like, where the fuck did you learn that, fish man? And he's like, um, I just made it up. Mm. I, I do like his ego here. Because he very easily could have just been like, oh, a friend uh, a friend told me that he learned it from someone else in prison. Because they're all... Right. Right. Huh. Okay, so back on the transport pod, John is worried about the whole, like, getting shot with the chemical that kills you thing. He points out, he's like, look, we don't know if the thing that brings you back to life will work on me because I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a sebation. I love that Aaron's like, I think it'll probably work, like, 50-50. John's like, no, not 50-50. Who is she? Prue, with the whole Wendigo thing happened? Just shoot one of them. You only have a 50% chance of killing Piper. Oh, yeah. So John's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach you CPR. So uh, that if it doesn't work, you can bring me back with CPR. In the sexiest way possible. On TV, but not in real life. Well, no, I like this because when he told her that he was going to teach her CPR... You were like, ugh, is this going to be sexy CPR? But they subvert that. This is not sexy CPR. Yeah, it's just wailing on someone's chest. Yeah, we don't even actually see the mouth-to-mouth part. We don't... Which the you're cam- not supposed to do. Yeah, I know. But the camera doesn't actually show her breathing for him. It only shows the part where she bangs on his heart. Do you remember in Once Upon a Time where Emma had to do CPR on Hook after the Wicked Witch, you know, drowned him so that she would have to kiss him? And she didn't do the chest compressions at all. She just started making out with his corpse. And it's like, that's not how CPR works. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Also, how does the Wicked Witch know what CPR is? She's from Oz. Is CPR the real true love's kiss? Embarrassing. I'm just saying. God, we haven't talked about Once Upon a Time in a while. We're done with it. We did all of Once Upon a Time. It's done now. It's true. We did. Except for that one special we might do. Yes. Not speaking of that, but... uh, this is also a thing in uh, at the end of the first season of Buffy. Yes, yes, it's very much Prophecy Girl. Yeah, where Angel can't give uh, Buffy CPR because he has no breath, even though Spike smokes all the time. So what the fuck are you talking about, Angel? Yeah, huh, yeah. I think Angel was just embarrassed that he didn't know CPR. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense to me. But yeah, it's a moment where Xander saved Buffy when Angel couldn't. Yeah. Remember when he was like, oh, here's a necklace that I know nothing about, but it seems to summon a demon. I'm just going to go ahead and start the musical episode. Well, I mean, we shall be thankful for him. It's a great episode. It's only in-universe where he's responsible for people dying because of that. God. I think he does kill more people by accident than Dark Willow does intentionally. That's pretty funny. I mean, he also stops her from ending the world, so he... He saved all of those people, but didn't we learn in Angel that you don't get to counterbalance that? You don't get to be like, well, I killed all of these people, but I saved this many people, so I'm okay. You don't get to balance the ledgers like that. It's true. Uh, The Phoenix saved the universe from the Mad Emperor Diken. Like, she literally saved every life in the universe, but... She still had to die when she ate that one sun and killed that one pa- uh, that one planet of broccoli people. Yep. Farscape. So back on Stanza's ship. Okay, so throwing the wood in the furnace didn't work. So I'm not quite sure what this plan is, but Stans is 
pumping on the bellows and he gives Dargo a giant stick and is like, just bang on this part of the wall. It's nice that he knows Dargo's like zone of competency. Banging on things? Yeah. Remember when he uh, freed Moya from her mind control by just ripping wires out of a control panel? Yeah, yeah. If you have something that will respond to brute force, Dargo's your guy. Sometimes. Anyway, it works. They break out of the flax, and then Stans tries to hug Dargo, and Dargo pushes him away. Mm. And Stans is, like, clearly so hyped up. He's like, this is living! This is the thing that gets me excited! And I like that about him. He seems to be a very, like... He has a joie de vie. Meanwhile, it's too bad that the uh, peacekeepers never had staying alive because that would come in handy right now. <laughs> yes, as Aaron tries to learn how to like push on his heart. Yeah, she doesn't have the. Uh, 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 uh staying alive, staying alive, etc., etc. That's how we can sing before we get demonetized. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So John has taught Aaron how to weld, how to do CPR, and he tells her that she has four minutes until he's brain dead for real. So she has four minutes to fix the ship. Smart using the lower number. Yeah, definitely. He also, before she shoots him up, wants to talk about whether or not Sebastians believe in heaven. And turns out they don't. They believe when you die, you die. Shocker. And John tells her about, you know, the idea of seeing the light and being with your family and your friends again and... She's like, well, that sounds like a fresh pot of bullshit, but I guess you can tell me after I bring you back to life. Stab. Yeah. She also tells him that it's not going to hurt, but then it apparently hurts like a son of a bitch because John is like, oh, I guess it doesn't. Ah! I mean, what was the benefit of her telling him that it was going to hurt? She did the right thing. Although this really reminds me of in a later episode, he's going to undergo this particular kind of freezing process. And again, they tell him it doesn't hurt, but... I'm pretty sure that this is not them lying to him, but because of his human physiology, where he's like, ah! What was the one thing, like, he kept on hearing this alarm as something painful because of his human physiology? Uh, yeah, he was hearing the peacekeeper beacon alarm in IET. And yeah, that was because of his human eardrums, yeah. which were actually more sensitive than other people's. This is before headphones were super common. Yeah, we've all blasted all those pieces of ear away. Peacekeepers come, we're all screwed. We're not going to hear them coming. Yeah, that is true. Back on the ship, basically, Rigel has lost everything, and he wants to make one more bet. He tries to bet the ship, and the Zenitians are like, um, we don't want a pregnant ship. They're pain in the ass. Remember, that was like the first thing we said when we met you. But what we do want is Stans. So Rigel admits that he does know where Stans is. And that he will tell them where Stans is if they win this hand. And Zen's like, Rigel, no! Which, I mean, well, now that that information's out in the world, you can't exactly put it back in. Also, like, Zan, Zan, you cut off Pilot's arm, but you want to protect this guy you met five seconds ago? She's the moral arbiter of the show when she feels like it sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. So, back on the transport pod, Aaron is trying to repair the line while the computer counts down, and John lays there, dead. And on Stanza's ship, Dargo sees the transport pod out the window. He and Stans decide not to go get them right now because they have time, because the Venetians aren't going to pick them up yet. 
But then Dargo sees them vent out all of their atmosphere. So Dargo knows that they're going to suffocate, but... They only have time to do one thing. They can save John or John and Aaron, or they could go to the, you know... Luxon ship. Luxon ship and find... Maps. Possibly. Home. Yeah. Maybe. Possibly. And Dargo tries to convince himself. He's like, it's fine. They vented atmosphere, but they have backups. They'll be fine, even though, you know, they don't because they're losing everything. Aaron is trying to repair the line. And as she's trying to repair the line, she runs out of time. John needs to come back right now or he's going to die. Then the ship gets jolted and the vial of... Life-bringing formula? Yeah, the bring-you-back-to-life vial gets busted. Back on Moya, Rigel loses this round? Sure. Sure, this round. And he tells the pirates where they can find stands. He, he gives them, he gives them basically the signal, the comm signal to track Dargo's comm so that they can track stands, which yeah. is a smart way to do it. And Zan's like, Rigel, how dare you? I know that you've never done anything moral the entire time I've known you, but this really is the worst thing you've done. This is a bridge too far. How could you? Oh, oh. Which... It's a very weird take on Zan, but okay. Yeah. So he he gives them coordinates and then they leave. They just trust him and leave, which doesn't seem smart, but fine. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I guess Zan was helping by, you know, being the most dramatic person on the goddamn planet. I mean, that's why you don't let Zan in on your plans, because that's how you know that you're going to get the right performance out of her. I'm sorry, I said on the planet, I meant in space. On the transport module, Aaron is using CPR to bring John back. Thank goodness that he taught her CPR. Yeah. And it's not sexy. Yeah, it's it's brutal. She is like banging on his chest. Like she is breaking ribs. But it is still TV, so it works. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how effective CPR actually is. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, but I don't think it's the magical thing TV treats it as. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it works under very specific circumstances. Yeah, like, I'm not sure that John, having been unconscious like this for four minutes, I'm not sure this actually would have brought him back. Also, the point of CPR is to stabilize someone while you wait for, like, EMTs. It's not like it brings you back and then you're fine. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. What matters is Dargo and Stans have reached the Luxon ship, and Dargo realizes... It's like... A big, fancy, fancy assault ship. It's like the best assault ship in the universe. It would be really fun to have. Dargo could, like, have his own super awesome ship. Okay, also, how much do the Luxons suck that they got taken down by a bunch of pirates? Aren't they supposed to be a big-timey warrior race? But some, like, random-ass pirates took out one of their big ships? I'm just saying, I feel like the Luxon's reputation is somewhat overblown in the universe. Oh, also, I don't think this was a battle carrier. I think this was, like, a little fighter ship. But, eh. <laughs> eh. It's a Worf situation. Yeah, we, we really do never see Worf do anything. He's a huge badass who loses literally every fight he ever gets in. Yeah. But on a species-wide level. So on the transport, John wakes up, and he's like... 
wow, you brought me back with CPR. That is awesome. Did you fix the ship? And Aaron tells him, no, she she abandoned work on the ship to save John's life. Which, see, I feel like this is the moral. Not, oh, being a scientist is cool, but this point where Aaron, instead of doing whatever she needed to do to survive, realized that she didn't want to leave John to die, even though by bringing him back, she's essentially damned them both. You're right. I, you know what? You're right. This is a lot better than I gave it credit for. And also, it's sort of the inversion of the Futurama scenario I keep on talking about. The scene where uh, Fry and Leela are trying to disable the ship because it's flying into the sun. And Fry gives Leela his oxygen because she's running out. Yeah, but he does it without her seeing so that she'll still, you know, have time to stop. It is the inversion of that, yeah. Yeah. And then she brings him back with CPR. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has the little... You take my breath away heart stuck in his throat. You leave me breathless. Yes. Oh, I love that moment. Fry and Leela have such a good relationship. Mm-hmm. I L- agree. Like, and they do the due diligence and... God, I know it's under... I, I think it's underrated, but I get it. It's a latter season Futurama thing. But the one where she starts mutating further... And, like, that scene where uh, she talks about how she understands if he doesn't want to be with her anymore because she doesn't look the way she used to. And he's like, so what? You know, people change. You're still the same woman I love. And I'm like, ah. It's a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Back on Moya, Xana's just, like, tearing into Rigel. And Rigel's like, um, yeah, I gave them the wrong frequency. I changed the frequency codes in the computer as soon as they came on board so that because i already knew that i was going to send them on a wild goose chase because this was the easiest way to resolve this situation yeah he knew that they wouldn't leave without something of value and they weren't going to take the ship so he had it all planned this is by the way an ongoing thing with zan where she yells at someone for doing something really immoral and then they're like um actually i did the smart and moral thing your thing was just going to get us all killed. So, meanwhile, John and Aaron are like, well, are, are we going to die? And, and I love this scene. Aaron's like, did you see anything when you died? Did you see the bright light in all your family? And John's like, nope. But maybe this wasn't the time that I was supposed to die. And Aaron's like, well, in a few minutes you could find out again. <laughs> but it's like really sweet. You know what it reminds me of? What? Toy Story 3 when they're all about to fall into the fire. Oh, it's such a good moment. Toy Story 4 was so unnecessary. I like Toy Story 4, but... No, I think it's a fine movie. It's just... It doesn't have the emotional impact of... Honestly, 2 or 3. Like, it's sort of the... Hey, stuff does just keep going. Okay, that's true. But I just... I have to say... Not every movie has to break me the way, say, the first 15 minutes of Up broke me. Mm. It's okay to have a movie that's just good. It doesn't have to break us like that scene where they're falling into the furnace. Yeah. It's just kind of, it just pivots a little bit because the series kind of up into that point has been about, look, there is an inevitable end and it's coming. Mm -hmm. It might not be coming now. Like, There are things you can do that will make it come a little further off, but it will come and that's something you have to accept. And 
Toy Story 4 is kind of an inversion of that because it's like, look, actually, life keeps going. Like, you hit points where you think it's going to end, but it doesn't, and you just have to deal with that. Well, because you have to deal with change. And I think dealing with change is just as important a lesson as dealing with endings. Yeah, you know, I've talked me around on this because I was like, you know what, that's actually a really solid thing where, you know, things keep going. You have to just change with them. Although, God, they did not need Buzz Lightyear after the first movie. No, they did not. He's such an unnecessary character. Like, honestly, after the first movie, but it gets worse in each movie that goes after. Because they, they, they're like, okay, we need to find some way to crowbar him into the plot. They're just really stuck with him. And it's like, you you really don't need to. It's not his story. At, the first one's his story, but it's not after that. Yeah. They do that weird amnesia thing with him in the third movie, and it just, it kills the momentum. I'm sorry, I I don't know if this is just me kind of airlifting my distaste for Tim Allen into... I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, that's okay. But it also does feel like he's not, he, he doesn't, he shouldn't be a main character. I mean, I was gonna say they should have gotten rid of him instead of Bo Peep, but of course... Bo Peep coming back in the fourth movie as a badass is not something that I would want to miss. Yes. So, in Farscape, back Mm. on Stanza's ship, Dargo realizes that he can't take the ship and the maps because even though that is how he thinks he will find his son, he definitely will not be able to look his son in the eyes if he leaves his shipmates to die. So, they're going to go back and save John and Aaron. Is there... Any reason they can't just go onto the ship after that? Well, the pirates, the Zanetians are there, so then the Zanetians are going to grab it. The, the point was they needed to grab the ship before the Zanetians got there to harvest it. I thought the Zanetians were heading in the in a different direction. I guess they don't know he about doesn't, that. Yeah, Dargo doesn't know that, though. Yeah, so I guess theoretically, when they all got back on the ship and, like, discussed what was going on, but... I'm pretty sure everybody else was like, no, Darko, you had your chance, you blew it, we're getting the fuck out of here and away from this fucking net. Yeah. I'm a little surprised no one ever uses web for it, because that would be the place I would, I mean, I know it's a net, but it seems more kind of webish because you get stuck to it. And then... Oh, yeah, I mean, they call it the flax. I've been calling it a net, but you're right, it is a web. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he references it, I think Stans talks about it as a net at the beginning because they're pirates so that makes more sense than web yeah they're not spiders but i mean functionally i feel like it's a little more webby yeah but it does sort of feel like this is something you could you remember that one thing in the simpsons where maggie gets locked in the bathroom and uh at first they try to pick the lock with the uh coat hanger and then they start doing all these other things and then lisa gets the door open and they're like how did you do that and she's like the coat hanger. I don't get why we only try things once and then give up on them. I don't remember that, but that's so true. Yeah, it, it's from a, it's a, it's a later season one, but I'm like that. It's a really good. Show. Yeah, it's very true of television, and I think maybe real life too. Yeah. So, so on the transport pod, John and Aaron are you know burying their souls, having their falling into the furnace moment, and then they realize that. They're about to die, so really, it's time to bang. Seriously, like, this this is when you bang. It is when you bang. But 
as we all know, starting to bang is definitely the best way to get someone to walk in on you. Yeah, exactly. They're saved by narrative conventions. So they're getting ready to get down to clown and then Dargo's like, hey, can, mind if I ruin this moment for you? Like, yes, I'm saving your life, but I ha- I'm Dargo, so it has to be in a bad way. Yeah, it's true. I love how he's like, seriously, guys? You know you were about to die, right? Which is, what What do you want them to do when they're about to die, Dargo? It is what you do when you're about to die. So everybody comes back onto Stanza's ship, and this is a scene I hate. It's It's so bad. Dargo has tied up Stans for... I don't know why. Well, because Stans theoretically didn't want to go back and save them, but I don't know why. He he didn't seem to have any major issues with it. He was doing whatever Dargo wanted to do anyway. Yeah. And Stans, by the way, since you were like, why can't Dargo go back to the ship? Yeah, Stans is like, why don't we just keep flying around the Flux until we find another Luxon ship? And he wants Dargo to stay with him because he's lonely. And he wants Dargo to stay and be his mate. And Dargo's like, no, that's horrifying. And then Stans is like, you know that I'm a female, right? And then everyone acts weirded out, and I hate this scene so much. Yeah, everyone acts really grossed out, and then they all just kind of leave. So, also, they're leaving this character to die, which... No, he's fine. We've seen how much uptake the ship takes not to explode. He's gonna get himself untied in a second. (sighs) I refuse to believe that they leave him tied up without him being able to get out of it. Really? Not not because of them, but because of him. I refuse to believe he can't get out of being tied up. <sighs> this is just... And he just kind of pathetically whimpers, I love you, as Darko, like, leaves him tied. It's it- so weird. And that's why I felt like, I'm like, that wasn't scripted. I refuse to believe that was scripted. It's so weird and awkward and out of place and... It's cringy. A, yeah, and it's such a turn for the character. Like, I could see if he was like, hey, like, I'm looking for a mate. You seem like a someone I could really see myself going with. You want to hook up. But this weird, like, sad... The, the whole thing feels like... And it's played for comedy, and it's just really gross and uncomfortable. Like... It would be totally cool to be like, hey, look, this is someone who's got a very different idea of gender. This is someone whose species works differently in this, you know, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's just so transphobic and, like, it's a joke that this character's a female of his species. We're, again, using the preferred pronouns here. He was using he pronouns before. He's the female of his species. Like, it's played for comedy, even though it really shouldn't be? Like... No, it shouldn't be. It's... And it's all so unnecessary! Yeah, like, it's not funny. I... Is it supposed? I feel like it's supposed to be a comedy note to end the episode on, but it's just really sad. Ugh. Okay, let's be done with that scene. Okay, so Zan is debriefing Darko, and she's like, "Wow, it sounds like you were being a real huge douchebag in that situation." He's like, "I don't want to talk about it." Okay, okay. He says that by being indecisive, John and Aaron almost died, 
And I love that he would have been annoyed if he gave up the Luxon ship and John and Aaron died anyway. Like, he would have been happier with himself if he either let them die and got in the ship or gone to get them right away. Then we have the John and Aaron scene where they're on... Well, they're not in command. They're, they're in a set that's actually never used again, which is like a giant bubble looking out onto space. But... Which is different from the other giant bubble looking out onto space that they apparently never used again. Yeah, they never used they yeah, they never used either of them again because it is a cool idea, but both times they realized it was way too expensive to be worth it to use them. But they have that moment where they're like, Oh, we were just thought we were gonna die, so that's why we almost had sex. It's definitely not gonna happen again, and then they both kinda smile because they both know it's gonna happen again. And then John's like, Uh, you are a female of your species, right? And Wah, 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 fuck wah. off, John. F- fuck. You know, honestly, I like this episode a lot more going over it. I- again, I couldn't really remember any of the plot beats, but until the end, the end just sours it so much. Well, I mean, that's what I was saying at the top of the episode. I don't rewatch this episode because the end is so bad, but rewatching it now for this podcast, I'm like, damn, the first 35 minutes are great. Those last 10 minutes that sour it. And again, I would love a show about stands. Yeah. Honestly, I would watch the hell out of a show about stands. He could, yeah, like he could, you know, sell stuff to furlough. There's this whole alternate show I want to watch, but. It's a reoccurring theme in our podcast, isn't it? Yes. A reoccurring theme in, I think, all of our podcasts is. What this show should be instead. Well. Last episode with Charmed, we were talking about how, like, there are all these witches who aren't the Charmed ones, and we're really interested in what they were up to. Yeah, well, in our Welcome to Storybook podcast and our podcast about Once Upon a Time, we actually, for a while, had a segment called What This Show Should Be Instead. Yeah. Speaking of segments. Yeah, I believe. Very smooth. Very smooth. That takes us to our segments, which I can never remember the names of. Okay, so our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what part of the world building worked for you here? Okay, I really, really liked the game. Like the game that Rigel was playing with the crystals and the light and the music. Mm-hmm. Or sound, I guess, more than music. Yeah. But I really liked it, and I like the fact that it's something that uh, Stan's picked up in prison. Yeah. Like, I do like sort of the background feel that it gives of, okay, because I feel like one of the main things that Farscape lacks is alien pop culture. Like, John makes pop culture references all of the time, but none of the other characters really do. And I guess games aren't really pop culture. I mean, in a way they are. But it really helps the universe feel like a place where other people have fun. Yeah. And it's alien in a way that three-dimensional chess on Star Trek or Pyramid in Battlestar Galactica, which is essentially just basketball, are not. I mean, give it to Star Wars. At least it's just chess, but with weirder things and holograms. Yeah. No, I, I loved the game. The game was was mine too, but I had a backup. All right. Which is stands a ship. Oh, I was going to use that for the next thing. Oh. All right, well, let's talk about our next segment then, and then we can both talk about the ship. All right. And our next segment is strange alien creatures, which is what what makeup or puppet or, I guess in this case, setting really worked for you. Okay, so 
I honestly get these two segments confused all the time. You should talk about the ship because I have kind of a different thing I can talk about here. Okay, well, I, I mean, we talked about it while we were watching the episode, but just the idea that it's so run down and different from anything you would see in another science fiction show. Like, this is not glamorous space. This is literally held together with duct tape and twine and powered by steam. It's like... And it's what steampunk would actually be. It's not all, like, pretty and bronze. It's gritty and real. Well, it's the thing I like about Star Wars versus Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Where Star Wars, it's like, there might have been these, and there might still be these giant fancy, you know, starships and stuff. But what most people have is, like, space Toyotas that are held together with duct tape. So I'm going to admit something. Mm-hmm. When I first started watching Farscape, I didn't get into it when I was just watching the first season. It took me a while to get into it, too. And one of the reasons I didn't get into it is because when I was watching Farscape, I had just finished watching Firefly. I was looking for something to, like, scratch the Firefly itch. And I was like, if I wanted Gritty in Space, I would rewatch Firefly. But Gritty in Space in Farscape is deeper. It's It's more... It's more developed than in Firefly. And and now that I'm into the show, I actually appreciate it way more that they created a world that feels lived in. Mm. Like, Firefly is just a film of dark and gritty over a typical sci-fi show. Farscape is a dark, gritty, real, lived-in world. So my... Strange Alien Creatures is Stans and the Space Pirates. The Zenitian Space Pirates. Because, again, like, I mean, they you could honestly just have them be regular pirates in, like, a faux Viking thing or whatever. Like, there's enough stuff where, like, this doesn't really read as space pirates so much as just regular pirates. But I like the detail work in like like you said the tattoos feel like they signify rank yeah and like when he show uh when stan shows the prison brand and he's like this is how you can tell i'm not associated with them anymore like i really like sort of the character beats you can get just by looking at these people's tattoos yeah there's like a depth to it again so our final segment is just looking for a way home which is what emotionally worked for you in this episode okay i feel like this is the thing we always go back to but the john and aaron stuff oh especially the scene when they were both about to die when aaron brought him back just so that they could die together a few minutes later oh gets me right 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 in the feels also more stands yeah yeah well i i do think you're gonna really like stark so i'm excited for you to meet him in several several weeks is it like a thing is it like the thing dc used to do where they're like we're going to have a story where jimmy olsen creates a supergirl using a genie to test the waters to see if kids would actually want a supergirl um no i actually would have never thought of them they, they, they serve such different purposes i would have never thought of stans and stark as being similar characters it's just tonally they're very similar and i now seeing that the same writer who wrote this episode wrote the first stark episode it, it just all makes sense hmm. But our next episode is Jeremiah Crichton. And the summary of that episode from Google Play is 
Several heated arguments with the crew prompt John to take his pod for a cruise. While in space away from the ship, a problem with Moya causes her to starburst without warning, leaving John stranded. Wah, wah. Yeah, poor John. <laughs> All right, so I guess that will about do it. Yeah, that's it for us this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>